Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richmond. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry, we engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences. All of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guest is Dr. Dave Bridge, Associate Professor of Political Science at Baylor University. Dr. Bridge researches American politics, American political and constitutional development, American public policy, judicial politics, and the Supreme Court. He teaches courses on American constitutional development, public policy, and campaigns and elections. In the 2022-23 academic year, Dave was named an Outstanding Faculty Awardee in Teaching, and in 2022, he also received a Core Curriculum Virtues Recognition Award for his efforts to facilitate the development of the virtue of respect in his undergraduate courses. We are delighted to have Dr. Bridge, along with a special student guest, Noah Falk, on the show to discuss using games and simulations in teaching, developing virtues in our students, and much more. All right, Dave Bridge and Noah Falk, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having us. All right, well, I originally reached out to you, uh, Dave, to have this conversation, and you had the fantastic idea to bring a student into the conversation as well. And I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I've never had this idea myself. So thank you so much for bringing a little kind of different life into this this kind of conversation here where we not, talk not just with professors, but with students as well. So I really appreciate that perspective. So let's just start by congratulating you. You've been named an outstanding faculty in uh, teaching this past year. So what do you think that that sort of affirms or recognizes in your teaching? Maybe more than anything that even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Um, I don't know if it affirms anything. I, I, I would hope it, it means that I'm doing something right, um, namely, trying to meet these young people where they're at and if we learn some political science along the way that's that's really great yeah fantastic so Noah tell us a little bit about yourself what what you're studying what courses you've had with Dr. Bridge uh, yes sir of course so um, I'm a junior political science major here at Baylor University uh, I took two courses under uh, Dr. Bridge here Constitution and then his very innovative politics games and strategies course um, I've loved to have him as a loved having him as a professor, and we've remained in good touch. And uh, I am also on the pre-law track here at Baylor, so I aspire to go to law school upon graduation. Fantastic, and thank you for being here. So, Dr. Bridge, you one of the first sort of. Uh, context in which I uh, met you and got to know your work was with this idea of using games and simulations in your teaching. So can you give us just a little bit of background of how you kind of got interested in that? My understanding is that it's more common in political science than maybe in a lot of other fields, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's doing it, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd forgotten how many things that we've been to together. Several. <laughs> um, I, and I think when I went through the the course development, mm -hmm. uh, the course redevelopment syllabus yeah. thing. I think I did it with this syllabus. That may when be When you right. did let it. Yeah, yeah. So um, 
kind of coming full circle. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, games and simulations are, are maybe a little more common in political science. The discipline itself lends itself to certain kinds of, especially what, what I call traditional role-playing simulations, mm-hmm. where you assign students roles and they bargain and negotiate over something. Uh, classic examples are making legislation. So students take on the role of U.S. senators and discuss. And another one would be international relations. Mm-hmm. And I, I've used some of those, and some of them are, are very good. But I think that there's more to games than just traditional role-playing simulations, in part because I don't think it's realistic to tell two students, all right, you be Israel, you be Palestine, you have 30 minutes, make peace in the Middle East. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I really try to focus on games, things that have specific rules where there are winners and students are incentivized to win, and it brings out a, a friendly competitive spirit that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, there seems to be, when you're mentioning that kind of facetiously, you know, Israel-Palestine, you, you you need to balance that the that the game needs to be accessible. We need to be able to do it and learn it quickly, but also not, I think, maybe like oversimplify something that's very complex, right? So do you find that that's kind of the way that you're trying to thread the needle with that? Yeah, in some of the games I've designed, it's... Th- I hate to say it, that they are kind of oversimplified, but it, it's only to teach one aspect yeah. of politics and to really focus in on on one thing that is easy to overlook or maybe hard to understand. But once you gamify it, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more accessible. So how does the preparation for this sort of, sort of thing work? You know, I, you use the term role play, and that's something that we do in my field of history um, as well. But people recognize it takes a lot of time to set it up right. Yeah, with the role-playing stuff, students have to, the the more you give them, the better, the more that they can read their roles Mm -hmm. and prepare for them. But with games, it depends on the complexity of the game. Um, I've used, for example, off-the-shelf board games. So um, I've used the game Battleship, and there's not much prep for that game. Yeah. Students know what they're doing and I, I have them play it just for 10 minutes as a regular game. And then I kind of tinker with the rules a little bit to teach about something and tinkering with the rules. It takes a couple minutes of of an adjustment period, but they always get it. Yeah. They, in, in part because I think they'd rather be playing a game than listening to me lecture. Does that track Noah's? That's not right. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit. I won't lie. Um, I really do agree with Dr. Bridges' method of teaching through uh, engaging us with things such as games in, in the classroom. I believe it made things, like you said, a friendly, competitive uh, nature, and I just really enjoyed being in that environment. I uh, constantly would be checking the clock not to see when the class is over, but hoping that we could have more time to play again because uh-huh. um, I wanted to beat some of my friends in the class so badly. Yeah. and. Um, I did like when we would mess with the rules and kind of like switch things up. If anything, I know to uh, further a point or to teach a point, but also it made things that much more like interesting and kept things fresh and much more worthwhile. 
Yeah, that's great. So uh, as you know, Dave, you know, at, at the ATL, we, we start a lot of our discussions with faculty with learning objectives. You know, what are you trying to accomplish here? Let's start, start there, sort of start at the end where you want your students to land. But I always tell folks, too, that that's kind of like the platonic version of course design. And we recognize, we recognize that it's very messy and very uh, iterative in practice. So do you find when you're, when you're either forming or reforming these kinds of learning experiences that you're starting with the learning objectives or do you kind of find the learning objectives on the way? I, I'm so glad you asked this question. I, you don't remember this, but at the, <laughs> okay. the, the, the syllabus redesign, yeah. you really pushed me on this. And yeah. I said, well, that's not how real teachers teach. <laughs> and you said, and you were very reasonable. And you said, well, why don't you just try it? Yeah. See how it goes. And so I, I was kind of pouting and I said, fine. <laughs> um, you're going to be wrong, but, and it, it works. And in this class, more than any other, um, you know, I, t I type up a lesson plan for this class. In other classes, it's, it's mainly PowerPoints, and that's my lesson plan. Mm -hmm. But at the top of the lesson plan, right at the top is the objectives. And I always try to keep three things in mind. What, what's the concept I want them to learn? How do I want them to apply it or think critically about it? And how can what we're doing today build community? between the students. And so all of those are driving not just the way I think about the syllabus, but the way I think about every minute in class, really. Uh, I think most instructors would be nodding along, as you say, the concept and the application, but you might be losing some on the community aspect. You're not losing me on it, but can you sort of give some defense on that one? Uh, I'm going to pass it off to Noah here. Please, that's great. I think um, from the first day of class my freshman year when I walked in, uh, Dr. Bridge always put students first, and he told us that he was helping us in our transition, not just from uh, high school to college, but just in general to opening up our minds into new methods of learning, new practices and studying and um, all these type of things. But his point on community really just strikes with me, or resonates with me, I would say, because everyone in that class became such a dear and personal friend to me. I think it was such a tight-knit group. We met regularly outside of class uh, with the original intention of studying and preparing and making sure we all kind of knew uh, the rules of these sometimes complex games the next day yeah. that we were going to be playing, but they would almost always just kind of devolve into friendly hangout sessions and I still maintain close uh, relationships and ties to everyone in that class, and I think that's very unique and something that you can't really obtain in a lecture style, or definitely not in a mass lecture hall, but even in more intimate, uh, smaller class sizes that don't um, teach in these engaging type of ways. So I will definitely harp on the community aspect. That's great, that's great. I mean, this is something that I, I'm always working on in my own teaching, and I love to have conversations with faculty about community as well, because Many of us recognize that community is so important for the learning experience, and yet so many forces in the system, in the higher ed system, push against that. There's the grades, and there's, you know, and all of these things kind of really emphasize the individual. Um, and so it can be hard to find ways to lift up that community. And so I've been trying to lean harder into the, the belief that people will be accountable when they have 
uh, individuals, peers to be accountable to. So it's not, I'm not just doing this, you know, so I can get a grade. That can be very motivating and we, we can't ignore that reality, but there's a more, you know, wholesome kind of accountability, more organic, authentic kind of ability when you like look across the table at a classmate and go, oh, I was supposed to prepare this thing for our, you know, whatever, a role play or whatever today and I let you down and I don't feel good about it, right? So is that part of this mix here too? I would say so. I would definitely like to reemphasize the friendly, competitive nature. And I think that that's something that really got the class or brought the class together a lot and made it feel less like we were in competition with one another, but more so trying to like working together and ultimately trying to reach the point and understand what Dr. Bridge was trying to teach us with each class. And uh, that came through the fun of a friendly competition, but it didn't feel like we were working or trying to outwork each other necessarily, yeah. if that made sense. I, Noah's group was pr pretty unique. Um, <laughs> they they were a little more competitive than most, and I think they held each other accountable in, insofar as if if you reduced the likelihood that your teammate was going to win, they were going to be upset with you. Yeah. And yeah. it was so interesting the way the different personalities and leadership styles really that emerged. Um, there was one student who would hold you accountable by. He, he wouldn't mock you, but he would he would make you feel he would make you laugh that you didn't really prep for your game. Um, there was another student who was just deathly competitive. Yeah. And she yeah. just really wanted to win. And, and another student who just really wanted to do her best. And she felt like if you didn't do your best, she was going to let you know. And and there were all all these chiding of, of peers. It was actually done with love. Um, and they could only do it, I think, because they felt so comfortable with each other. Yeah, I've been doing group daily quizzes in my in my course. How's that going? Very well, yeah. very well. Um, and so I checked in with the students a couple of weeks ago and just said, they, just give me some feedback. We're about you know four or five weeks into the semester, and and I learned like what some of the students are doing to hold each other accountable one one uh, student apparently is texting uh all the all the members in her small group the morning of class don't forget to read here's the readings for and it's like okay well that's one less thing i have to do as an instructor right <laughs> like i'm not going to take that role uh of you know reminding you what's already on the syllabus but if if uh you know out of concern for your fellow classmates and your group grade one of your group members steps up and takes that role by all means right that's that's community that's authentic one of the things that that really emerged in, in Noah's group that I it wasn't a learning objective of mine was just the leadership that they showed mm -hmm. towards each other I was I was stunned by it really Noah's group probably had the best leaders I've ever had well I, if I could speak on that at all, I will say there were definitely some people who liked to take charge of uh, any sort of group activity that we were doing or any team-based um, thing that I guess someone when someone ever, when someone took over, it really just it wasn't in a commanding or degrading way like I know more than you, I studied more than you, I prepared more than you. It was I want to help you out and I want to lead this because I think I understand this concept and I think that we working together this way will function the best. And that was something that I thought was really cool and kind of goes with the whole friendliness and yeah. um, aspect of it all. So back to specifically like games and simulations, are there broader principles about teaching and learning that you think are infused in this or that maybe you've learned kind of retroactively by, by doing this that have affected other ways of your teaching? I 
It really brings me back to the point that we have to meet the students where they're at and making the material accessible to them. And we can do that many different ways. And it doesn't have to be through games. It could be through any teaching style, lecture, discussion, facilitation. But this is just one tool we have in our tool belt. And it really reinforces that they get excited about this tool. And even if I'm, if I'm not using a game, I have to do something mm -hmm. to get them into the material because if they're not, if they don't want to be there, they're not going to listen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, got it. Got to hook them somehow. That's right. Well, let's pivot a little bit to talk about, and I don't know, know if you have experience with this as well, but uh, Dr. Bridge was recognized a couple of years ago with an award for. Um, uh, focusing on and instilling virtues in in students and if I remember correctly yours was the virtue of respect that you focused on and you know at, at Baylor these these are things that we talk about and think about especially with the courses that are in the common core the, the courses that most of our students take you know what are the what are the the deeper kind of uh, you know characters focused sorts of things that, that we're trying to accomplish with our curriculum knowing that students are are not going to remember every detail and fact of our course that is a common course that's not part of their major and so on and so forth so either one do you want to give us some perspective on that the respect one really comes into play with the Constitution class um, so this is a class almost every student at Baylor has to take mm -hmm. and uh, the the core of American constitutionalism is that the people are sovereign and it's the really the first time in a, a country this large where that was ever said and it's been working for nearly 250 years and the minute we as a republic lose respect for our fellow citizens the constitution doesn't really work anymore and so it's not just something that they should exhibit as a citizen but also for their classmates for their community for the world and in the same way that they have a responsibility to this republic and whatever that might be is great if it's voting if it's running for office anything in between that's fine mm -hmm. they also have a responsibility to their brothers and sisters yeah yeah if i can uh, i agree with everything dr bridge said and i believe a big part of this is recognizing that everyone is an individual and i think whether it was in my constitution class or in the games and strategies class uh, there were a wide uh, array of students and a lot of people that had different values, interests, personalities, and I really, really loved that and seeing people with different lifestyles, different perspectives, and different, you know, just beyond political beliefs, but just, you know, human beliefs and being able to respect those opinions and those ideals that each person uniquely maintained um, is something that I think is a trait that you can take out of college or take out of a classroom and really practice in everyday life as a citizen, as a, as a United States citizen, as a person. So... I think that's something that Dr. Bridge did a great job. I think it's a little easier actually at Baylor. Um, for what it's worth, when I walk into class, I'm, I'm dealing with the most respectful students I've ever had at any institution. Um, uh, this is kind of a shout out to our students here at Baylor. I think they really do <laughs> want to listen to people who disagree with them. Mm. They want to hear those ideas. I, it, I'm amazed every time they say, well, I, I disagree, but I want to hear more. That's great, yeah. yeah. So how do you how do you conceive of that either that bridge or that pivot between respect is part of 
just understanding the material, like the how the Constitution and how the Republic works, and it and it, and it sort of makes sense as uh, the glue that holds this thing together that we are studying. How do you make that pivot or or bridge to now? Let's talk about your lives and how you think about voting or how you think about engagement in the public sphere or how you think about your voice on Twitter or whatever it may be. Because I'm assuming that's in some ways where you're trying to go, right? Yeah. I, so Noah was in a, a new student experience class where they're transitioning to college. And um, I used a, a book. It was uh, iGen by Jen Twinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, actually, Dr. Lynn Wisely held a kind of a, a study on it among professors. And I, I thought it was just a really enlightening book and I it's short it's very accessible I had students read it and it talks about their generation and some of the the trends and the traits and we would just talk through about a chapter a week and it was hard um, in many ways the hardest part of the, the semester but hopefully it landed well for those who haven't read the book I'll, I'll put a, sh- a link in our show notes for it but do you want to say like one or two things that are like come to mind for you about what that book well, I think of... we should quiz my former student <laughs> <laughs> um, the bottom line is that young people today have spent so much time on their smartphones that it affects almost every aspect of their lives um, there's a direct causal link between rising levels of depression anxiety, loneliness Mm -hmm. because of social media use and being able to talk to young people about that. I, I was amazed by the the level of vulnerability that they were willing to show, um, to each other and to me. Yeah, that's great. If I can add up to that, um, I really like how you used uh, vulnerability to describe it because I, I think sensitivity was a big concept that we had to kind of dive into with how almost, uh, desensitized it is to just have most of our communications nowadays through uh, cell phones or social media or over the phone behind a screen. I know that was a big theme behind the book. And then when you're forced to have kind of, not forced to, but I guess in a classroom setting, having uh, interpersonal communications or in a discussion-based class or as many political science classes are, um, you really realize that it's hard to have some of those communication skills or it can be hard to talk about things um, in person, face to face with someone, look someone in the eye and get deep or, you know, talk about something that's very personable to you. And I really appreciated how we would devote a few minutes uh, of each class just like, hey, so well, what did we learn or what what did this make you reflect on or think about in your personal life? Like, And it really did make me value how much uh, or really evaluate how much I uh, use my phone, use technology, rely on that as my primary form of communication nowadays. Yeah. So what's the what's then the transition to thinking about respect? I believe that that kind of comes out in just recognizing that there's when you're not hiding behind a screen or you're not hiding behind an anonymous account somewhere or you're not somewhere far away and and you're the safety of your own home or room that there is someone else there's another living breathing person that could hear some of the things that you say or um, see the way that you talk or the way that you treat them or the way that you're very brash about your beliefs and it hurts like words hurt or that they they reach people people hear it and what you say what you do what you believe they all mean something and I think that builds respect because then you see someone when you put a face to a name or you yeah. actually have that physical in-person interaction with people and foster those tough conversations. It's so much more real and palpable than uh, doing it over the phone or leaving a comment. 
Yeah. And actually, I, I should should send a shout out to um, Noelle Burt Forlini in, in religion. She really works a lot at meeting students where they are in as 19, 20 year olds and building friendship. Um, and she and Darren Davis put together a few events that I was able to go to. And mm -hmm. it, it really made me think about how I could do things to, to do better on that dimension. Yeah, yeah. So what specific activities or learning experiences did you require or give your students an option to do that that were really focused on this issue of respect? It, you know what? It was as simple as um, a short uh, canvas response. Um, read a chapter, which was about 15, 20 pages a week, and just give me 100, 150 words on what you think. And the problem wasn't getting them to get to 100 words. The problem was getting them to shut up. <laughs> they, yeah. they really had yeah. a lot to say. And um, some of them felt a little safer actually saying it in the privacy yeah. of an online learning management system. And we would bring it to class and I would never call somebody out and say, you know, well, you said this. Yeah. If it was relatively benign, that was fine. But if it was very personal, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And then some just felt even more comfortable talking about it with their peers in class. Yeah. Yeah, if I can, I think it was it added comfort knowing that other people might have said the same thing that you said or similar things because we I think we all share some common fears and um, personal kind of beliefs about uh, certain subjects that might make us a little bit itchy or you know, and so bringing those to class and hearing Dr. Bridge kind of be like, well, I heard this and around the responses, I think a lot of people said something along these lines. You'd realize kind of everyone would let out that sigh of relief, like, oh, it's not just me that's dealing with these issues, or it's not just me that put that in the in the Canvas responses. So that fostered conversation uh, very healthily. I don't think it's just me. I think a lot of thoughtful teachers are haunted by this by this concern, whether or not what we're teaching or how trying to help students learn will transfer to other experiences in life and in other courses because even though as as professors we have you know our 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 subject expertise especially in courses that are like common general education courses we're also focusing on a lot of things that we hope translate and are reinforced in other courses as well so from your experience Noah was there any way that you kind of took that focus on respect and saw it being played out or that you could apply in other courses uh, absolutely i think um when you look at courses as a whole of course there's individual differences between like the political science department and maybe some more like stem department classes and uh but almost every course that i've taken here since coming to college has involved some sort of group project group effort some sort of collaboration uh with other students and i think that Using, utilizing some of those skills that maybe uh, were honed in upon in these kind, of, these kind of classes and being able to have conversations that I may not have been able to have before, grow closer in relation to fellow students and just be more willing to participate in class discussion or um, just kind of take charge of some assignments or some group things while, while also doing that, uh, not again from a degrading uh, I'm above you standpoint, but from you know uplifting others and encouraging others those are things that I took away from the class that I was able to apply in any sort of uh, class setting. Yeah. So, Yeah, Dave? Uh, I always tried in the games class to say, okay, what's the real world applicability to this politics concept? Um, so I don't know if you remember any of them. But uh, one of them, we did some, some games and simulations on building coalitions under mm -hmm. different governmental rules. And I would say, well, what's the real world applicability to this? And we started talking about building a coalition 
to pick the right dessert at a restaurant、yeah. that people are going to share. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> it was. It was really no、great. easy task. <laughs> it really. I know. You think forming a government is hard. <laughs> that's right.、Uh, brilliant. So.、Uh, Are there other virtues that you've thought about, Dave, that、um, would work in the courses that you that you teach, or that maybe you have found yourself kind of already doing, and now maybe getting a name for it? I don't know if I'm getting a name for it or just stealing from my my colleagues. Yeah.、Um, Dr. Rebecca Flavin and I talk a lot about civic responsibility、mm-hmm. and empathy,、um, and. It's no wonder she's now administering the engaged learning、right. here at、yeah. Baylor.、Mm-hmm. Um, but getting students, you know, they don't have to be excited about being engaged, but if they're at least a little more likely to do something for their community, their state,、yeah. their country.、Um, uh, an assignment I stole from her actually, or that I, she lent me.、Um, it was kind of a two. Step assignment, and the first step was having students look up how to register to vote in their home state.、Mm-hmm. And so that's easy. That took a couple minutes. They were allowed to copy paste it from a website, and then the next week they had to find somebody and register them to vote. Ah.、Uh. And I I like to think that there are more voters now on campus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, getting out and doing that, and I recall—correct、uh, me if I'm if I'm wrong—but when you presented at、uh, a seminar for excellence and teaching on on this, that that you had students engage in some kind of、um, find somebody that's on the different side of a political spectrum as you. Can you speak a little bit about how that works too? Because that requires them to be doing that outside of class, right? Yeah. So the basis of it, and maybe Noah can speak more to it, is they, like you said, find somebody who they disagree with. Um, and talk with them about politics for a short while. I I know one time、uh, during our Constitution class,、uh, I believe you asked、uh, me and a fellow student who may not have seen eye to eye on certain、uh, political issues to go and sit in on、uh, another political science lecture, and just doing it together. And again, going back to that whole respect thing, just being able to be friends and be cool and just. Uh, be able to have that kind of engagement and that talk was really really cool and just all that exposure to the other side is again a very big awesome Baylor thing that I see a lot of is that being more opening to other perspectives and other viewpoints and not being intimidated by it or being so hard stuck in your own、uh, beliefs or your own systems that you're afraid to、um, meet with other people engage with other people listen to other people that's a big thing so I would really like that so for those who may be listening to this at、um... At a, a time removed from from this, we are moving into election season. I guess is the way people say it. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a pundit, but、um, it and it's a lot of it's a lot of gloom and it's a lot of hand wringing and it's a lot of hair pulling. And you know we you know we went went through this two years ago. We went through it four years ago.、Um, I guess my question is for either of you because we're focused here on on the virtues that are part of our Political system, or at least when our political system is working well, are you hopeful? Do you want to go first, Noah? I am hopeful.、Uh, I I know this might be the youthful optimism、uh, that maybe we will ride that way if we need it. <laughs>、um, that I think can characterize a lot of、uh, people my age, but maybe it's because of my、uh, exposure to just 
the subject as a whole or my fascination with it. But I definitely see more uh, young people or people my age than ever getting uh, invested kind of in the political sphere. And even if they're at a very surface level engagement with anything or they just kind of pick up buzzwords here or there or start to follow certain celebrities that follow certain politicians or beliefs, I think just the increased amount of um, general knowledge surrounding not just our systems, uh, that we have in place, but the actors at play and kind of familiarizing ourselves, building up those beliefs, getting more involved in the political system is something that I like to see and I didn't expect to see as I uh, grew up. I thought that was just kind of more of a, oh, we're political science kids. We kind of stay in our own world. And for the most part, that that can be said. But um, I would say it's surprising how many more people I'm seeing get more involved, get more engaged, get more passionate about a certain subject or um, actor that they want to support. I'd love to turn it around on you. Do you are you hopeful? <laughs> Depends on which side of the bed I wake up in the morning. <laughs> uh, I'm a little pessimistic right now, but I'm I, I'm not sure how how well I can articulate it all either. You know? Well, you're tracking with most Americans. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm aware of that that so much of it is just the psychology of the moment too. You know, it's like. Uh, the 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 economy is doing well but the grocery store prices are still so high and so because people are, are paying more for the things they buy all the time and paying less for the things they buy very f- infrequently like TVs and things like that um, there's a psychology that's at play there that you know you just have to go well don't trust my gut all the time on these things yeah exactly one of my colleagues uh, pointed out a good example that if you see long lines at a governmental agency you must think that the government's not working well um, because they're just not being efficient. But it really just so happens that it happened to be that day. And yeah. That just happened to be the day you were driving by. It's Which is another way yeah. of saying depends on which side of the bed you move. Right. On. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, uh, Dave, is there anything that you are working on in your own teaching that maybe you haven't gotten a chance to try yet or planning planning to do that uh... – you can, you can break the news here on the podcast. <laughs> I don't think this is all the news that's fit. But um, I I do research on this stuff, too. I, yeah. I test to see whether these games work, whether they are students are learning. Um, and there's different ways you can do that. Um, eventually, I'd like to put all these together and maybe even write a book about it. The, the thing I'm yeah. excited most about, though, this semester, I get to teach the games class. Yeah. And uh, we're doing some, some new ones. And... The students seem to be really into it. Um, some really complex games, but they're starting to meet outside of class. They're getting excited yeah. about it. So I'm hoping for the best. I think I saw a title of one of your papers that was like borrowing ideas of fantasy football. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a, a game where students have a, a fantasy draft and they, they draft U.S. presidents. Mm. And so each team has a roster of U.S. presidents, and uh, I submit those teams to experts in the field and ask them to judge those teams on different dimensions of presidentialism. So were they a good party manager? Um, were they, did they make good appointments? One of them is, were they scandalous? Ah. And so actually having a, a Richard Nixon yeah. um, or a Bill Clinton is a, is a good thing for those dimensions, and it encourages students to, to research the presidents that might be ranked lower because of those scandals. Yeah, interesting. 
So that got me thinking about, you know, since sports betting is so is so common now these days, is there a way to infuse like DraftKings style into one of these games? <laughs> minute, up to the minute betting. Yeah, that's right. Political science classes. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Anything you wanted to add there? Uh, I do not participate in any sports betting as of now, but if that were to become a part of my core curriculum, I, I don't think I would be opposed. We won't get you in trouble, no. <laughs> Um, one fun thing we did is I translated that into what I called the the fast food draft. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember that oh, one? Oh, that was that was awesome. That was such an an amazing highlight. I mean, we got so overly competitive over whether we were going to take Chipotle or Panera Bread um, in the second round, and it was just like such a it was such an interesting concept. But again, it just worked because it engaged everyone, yeah. and it was something that was applicable to everyone, and something that I honestly like took from and went and got the food that we uh, selected as our number one pick. I think we were a Chick-fil-A team. I think we probably were. The learning outcome there is that I tell the students that they have a a roster of fast food restaurants, and I tell the judges, all right, you can only eat at the places that are on each roster. Mm -hmm. Which one would you choose? And I tell the students, I'm just going to pick some some other students to judge the contest. Yeah. And it it worked out perfectly last time. I went into the hallway... I found um, four young female students who were all wearing the same sorority t-shirt <laughs> and they came in and judged it and they left and my students went berserk. They said, that is not an accurate representation. <laughs> it's and not we, representative of the And that was the lesson. Body. It was yes. a lesson about political science uh-huh. methods uh-huh. There and you go. selection bias. And then they wrote a paper about it. It was quite a lot of fun. Fantastic. Uh, well, Noah, uh, what are you planning on after Baylor? Uh, I hope to apply for law schools um, pretty much in the next year. Uh, That's my current goal. Uh, I have kind of a primary focus in just uh, maritime and environmental law right now. It seems to be my field of interest, to be completely honest. Um, It's something I've always been involved in. Uh, My father was in the Coast Guard, and so we were surrounded by water a lot growing up, and I thought that was such an interesting field to kind of explore and look into. But I've heard that no one really knows until they go to law school or if, if that even is in the cards, um, but that would be my first goal. So, yes, sir. Fantastic. All right. Well, Dave Bridge and Noah Falk, thank you so much for joining the show today. We're going to look forward to that book coming out someday of no, games and simulations and political sciences. So we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. Our thanks again to Dr. Dave Bridge and Noah Falk for joining the show today. As I mentioned in our show notes, you'll find a link to Gene Twang's book, iGen. If you are enjoying this episode or any of our episodes, help us out by subscribing and leaving a five-star review in your podcasting app. That's our show. Join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.